Hello, I'm Karthik Iyer. Welcome to ESPN Quick Info Stump Mike. Hope each and every one of you had a safe and a happy Easter weekend. Now, while live cricket remains in limbo, we're cracking away at providing you with the best content out there. In today's basket is Angelo Matthews on family, food, and fitness. And the Stump My crew also look back at the time when Muthaya Murlidharan was controversially called for chucking in Australia. So we're recording on New Year's morning in many parts of the subcontinent, uh, which has immediately followed the Easter weekend. Hello, Andrew Fidel Fernando. The man who's been dropping truth bombs on New Zealand on our website. Welcome to Stump Mike once again. How was your weekend? Happy New Year, Karthik. Uh, put on the article and uh, how's... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I've, the, the weekend's been reasonably restful. Uh, I mean, every day is like a Sunday now, so... Every day kind of feels like a weekend. Yeah, yeah, that's what you mentioned to me on WhatsApp as well. I remember I was trying to ping you and I thought I was a bit late in when I when I sent over a message and you were like, every day feels like a Sunday, man. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, the days have kind of blurred into each other. It, it doesn't really, there's, I mean, as with probably a lot of the global population now, I, I'm struggling to keep track of days of the week. <laughs> so in this period, I'm guessing Sri Lanka is also under a lockdown currently? Yeah, yeah. So we've had a curfew for just over three weeks now. Um, and uh, yeah, I think thankfully the numbers of kind of infected hasn't gone up massively here. But I think it's still uh, everyone's still afraid that there's going to be like a resurgence once the lockdown's lifted. So it's very it's very, very tightly controlled here. And uh, yeah, we can't even really step outside our houses. Hmm, but what you did manage to do was catch up with Angelo Matthews over the past week, no? Yeah, yeah. So he's uh, hunkered down in Wattala, which is just north of Colombo, I think, with his uh, with some of his extended family as well. He was, uh, yeah, I, I caught up with him. And, uh, we were on a phone call. I think he was in his garden. There was all sorts of bird noises and stuff. But <laughs> yeah, he's been he's been chilling out, I think, as a lot of us have um, just spending time with his two kids and uh, and his family and uh, and yeah it's been I, I think he's uh, he's he's doing okay he's uh, doing a lot of fitness stuff so what the Sri Lankan uh, board or what the what the Sri Lankan coaching staff have done is basically ask each of the players what kind of fitness equipment do you have at home and then they've sent them over specific plans sort of tailored to every player and their home lockdown situation and uh, yeah so he's I, uh, we, I kind of jokingly said on a piece that it, the the lockdown came at the worst possible time for Matthews because he just got done losing a lot of weight, and the entire <laughs> planet goes into couch potato mode immediately. Um, and just as he was kind of getting into peak condition, but he seems to be uh, he seems to be carrying on with uh, with all his fitness stuff, um, and is in reasonably good spirits. And also, the, the Sri Lankan team has been helping out in terms of like making uh, donations to people who are kind of struggling during the curfew. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's been involved in that as well. Oh, that's, that's lovely. Now, these uh, training regimens that you say, they've been tailored to each player who's probably under contract with Sri Lankan cricket. So do they put this up on like any social media platforms that we can go and look at? No, unfortunately, I don't think they've made those plans public. Ah. It's just you just have to go and stalk each each of your players on yeah. Instagram <laughs> and work out what their uh, what their exact training regimen is like. Yeah. So uh, about Matthews, no, it was in our consciousness recently. I think was it during New Zealand where uh, Ravindra Jadeja from India he took that awesome catch. So we at Cricket Four we wanted to put together a list of some outrageous catches or fielding efforts that have taken place on a cricket field and. And we were researching this on YouTube, of course. One of the first clips that that came up was of Angelo Matthews. And I personally don't remember Matthews like that too much. So then then you, of course, you go down this YouTube wormhole and there are some amazing compilations of Matthews' fielding. I think before his pre-injury days. Mm. And and it's it's so different from the perception that you have of Matthews as a cricketer right now. Yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, I think there was about a two or three year period between 2016 and 2019, he's got his fielding back on track now, just in the last month or so, uh, or the last month before kind of everything shut down. Um, but there was where he was routinely one of the worst fielders in the Sri Lanka team. So, I'll, I mean, I'll go back to some of those clips that you were talking about. The first memory that a lot of us have, including myself, have, have of Matthews, is him saving a six in the 2009 uh, World T20, where he kind of jumped over the line 
caught the ball and yeah. as he was going over, he threw it up and then the ball was still falling out over the boundary. So he jumped up and like basically like volleyball slapped it back into the field. Like incredibly, this was at the time when these such efforts were very rare. And uh, this was like the first memory all of us kind of had of him. And it's the, t- it's the time when I kind of really kind of gained an appreciation for him as a cricketer. Um, and then he's also he was also the first one to really pull off a relay catch in in an international match. Um, him and Ma- him and Mahela uh, yeah, in yeah. Australia, I think, in Palikale. He they, he was going over the rope and he chucks it to Mahela, uh, who was about ten meters away. Um, and again, this was something that was not done at the time. So Matthews very much came up uh, when in his sort of younger days as like this outstandingly talented fielder and mm-hmm. someone with like amazing ball sense and game game sense. Um, but then it all kind of fell to pieces after his injury. He gained a lot of weight, um, and uh, and he was one of the slowest kind of genuine liability in the field. Um, he was still okay at in slip against the, the you know for slipping to the the slow bowlers. But mm-hmm. apart from that, he was you know one of the worst um, fielders in that sort of three year period. But then he's just he's just lost. Um, he, I think he described it in an interview, which I think we're going to listen to in a little bit. Um, he described that he just woke up one day and decided, look, I've had enough of uh, sort of being unfit or being less than yeah. optimal posi- uh, uh, physical condition. And uh, and then he just like the the weight just melted off him. He obviously uh, got his um, got his sort of eating and his training under control. And he was amazing in this recent series against uh, against West Indies. He was pulling mm-hmm. off, uh, he was pulling off um, direct hit runouts and being involved in like very very uh, high quality fielding effort all around from Sri Lanka. But he was almost the one that was leading it, and it was just like a sudden. Uh, it was like he'd gone back into a wormhole and and come out, you know, that 2009-2010 self uh, self again. And I thought we'd kind of seen the last of that Matthews, but uh, he was, yeah, he was uh, really phenomenal in the field. And uh, I think both, I, I think a lot of people probably wish that he'd done this sort of big fitness push earlier, um, because it would have been nice to have, you know, that version of him uh, for uh, even in the last couple of years. That's fantastic. But enough from me over here. Here's Angelo Matthews with Fidel on his fitness and much more. Hello, everyone. We've got uh, Angelo Matthews on the Stump Mike podcast this week. Uh, Angelo's been, I think, uh, in lockdown for about three or four weeks. Uh, Angelo, you've been uh, in isolation or uh, locked up in your house? Yes, that's right. Uh, it's been close to four weeks, I think. Uh, ever since um, uh, it was a lockdown, I was locked down at home. Angelo, often when you're traveling, I guess, um, I'm assuming that your, uh, your wife does a lot of the, the childcare and parenting. Has this break kind of given you a little, uh, a slightly different perspective on her responsibilities and kind of her day-to-day life? Yes, yes. I mean, I get to help her out, um, um, quite a lot, um, in this current situation. Obviously, I'm, I'm traveling a lot and, uh, and, and, uh, the family, um, they don't travel as much. Um, and uh, so at this point of time, I get to uh, uh, sort of help her be with them, be with the kids, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, catching up with all the lost time with them. Right. Um, and, and finally, have you, have you taken up any cooking or anything like that? Um, have you, uh, a lot of people seem to be, you know, discovering their, their culinary skills. Does that happen to you? Uh, see, I'm 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 trying my best. I'm trying to uh, cook a few things. Obviously, uh, like simple things, you know, uh, making some eggs and um, some uh, uh, boiled vegetables with some maybe um, uh, some fish. You know, trying to uh, mm-hmm. bake it. Yeah. So uh, I'm trying to do a little bit of cooking. But I'm not an expert, no, I don't uh, know much about cooking, but I try to um, see what my wife does and um, uh, try and replicate it in the next day, uh, but I, uh, you know, end up being horrible. Yeah, this, this, uh, this sounds much much healthier than uh, what a lot of us have been eating, um, vegetables and eggs and stuff, it sounds like you're still on your, uh, your training regime. Um, 
So, Angela, that's, that's, I just wanted to talk a little bit about that as well because uh, a lot of people have followed you uh, for, a, you know, for so long. And uh, the last three months, it's been undeniable that you've really upped your game in terms of fitness uh, and fielding as well. But we'll talk about fielding a little bit later. Um, can you just tell us kind of where, at, at what point you got the motivation to do this big push for your fitness, um, your back bowling now as well? Um, can you just talk us through that journey and kind of what sparked it? Yeah, I mean, the real change uh, happened just within a day. Um, uh, because I, I, I honestly had a lot of uh, injuries, you know, troubling me over the last couple of years. And uh, I had some real, you know, bad times when it comes to injuries, you know, being in and out of the side. And, um, you know, it really uh, bothered me a lot. And um, I was getting a, um, getting frustrated as well when it comes to uh, sort of getting injured all the time. So just one, one day I just woke up and I just said to myself, I need to change whatever I'm doing now. And, and give it a try. I mean, obviously, you can't stop the injuries coming 100%. But uh, what you can do is um, work hard as as hard as you can and try to minimize the injuries. Obviously, then I had a chat to my trainer, Gilshan, and then we decided that day, uh, from that day onwards, to sort of be extremely... Uh, 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 what you call disciplined when it comes to uh, food and because I'm a big foodie and I love food you know as as most people do and uh, I like my sweets as well but I, I had to cut down everything um, look after myself and look after my diet um, to sort of achieve what I want to so uh, we worked out a plan um, we started doing some um, uh, some different things in the gym. Uh, started working on all the areas, and um, so the three months uh, have been great. I mean, the the, um, uh, the results you could see uh, even on the field. So um, um, I I feel lighter, I feel quicker, and all. I mean, credit to all the physios and the trainers and everyone who, who has helped me. Um, given a lot of support and uh, I just you know like to continue um, you know as much as I can I mean I'm enjoying my cricket and um, um, if I, you know I, I know that you know fitness is number one um, these days when you play a lot of cricket you need to work work a lot you need to stay lighter and um, you know it will it will definitely help you in the long run so um that decision I made, and I'm I'm really glad that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you miss most from your uh, from your previous uh, before you went on the diet? What What do you miss most in terms of food? Look, I mean, I've I've uh, achieved my target, so I mean, uh, my next target is to try and uh, be consistent with this. But mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, um, I eat. I mean, I, I eat a balanced diet, but mm-hmm. on and off, I mean, but when I you, don't want to lie. I, yeah. mean, I, I have I have sweet if I want to. I have uh, some fried stuff, but very limited mm-hmm. and, and and very little. I still have those, but um, if I have those, then I may then I make sure that I go to the gym and you know burn it out. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I'm not. I've completely stopped. I mean, it's impossible to uh, do that. I mean, yeah. I don't agree with uh, with who. Uh, I mean, if if uh, somebody say uh, I, I don't eat sweets mm-hmm. and I don't eat carbs or I don't eat uh, oil, they're absolutely lying. So um, um, what I what what I um, do is I have a balanced diet. I eat everything. I eat uh, sweets. I eat mm-hmm. Tried stuff. I eat uh, carbs, but I limit it. I don't go uh, over overboard with, with any of those. I still have it, and I make sure I burn it the next day yeah. so that you you still can you know uh, continue with your routine. Yeah, I think a lot of people in lockdown, especially, have been eating uh, eating virtually nonstop. So hearing you say that will make a lot of people happy. I think. I just wanted to ask you about like how does it feel now? Now that you're at the other end, you've achieved your goal weight. 
Um, you've achieved your goals in terms of fitness. Um, when you're moving around the field, we saw you obviously in the in the West Indies uh, tour. Um, how how did it feel compared to you know four or five months ago? Um, do you feel like you're you're much more able to do things that you want? Yes, absolutely. Like as I said before, I feel much lighter. I feel uh, 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 faster, quicker. So uh, it, it's all about the training which I did and, and, and the diet and, and all and the weight loss. I mean, it makes a massive difference. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I mean, I, I experienced it myself and that's why I just want to continue because it's very easy for us to sort of uh, sit back, relax and just uh, have a go at food these days, especially when you're locked down. So it's, uh, you, still, you, you still eat what you like, but, uh, you know, as I said before, you, you burn. So, uh, so that you, um, uh, you win, uh, it's a win-win situation. But, uh, if you, if you, uh, eat and then if you don't train, then there'll be a problem. But, you know, as I said before, I, I, I felt a lot lighter. Uh, I felt really good. I mean, um, um, so, I mean, that's what we we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll work. We'll keep working hard. Yeah. And we keep doing the right things. I mean, obviously, you know, and, and leave the rest to God. Mm-hmm. Um, do you? Is there a part of you that wishes you've you'd sort of done this push a little bit earlier? Um, this big fitness push. Yes, I mean, uh, definitely. I've uh, see, I've worked extremely hard, but I've uh, not got to that level of fitness before. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, I've, I've sort of not been hundred percent disciplined with my foot, to be really honest with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I really wish I um, um, I had done it before. But you know, there's uh, there's no regrets. I mean, I made that decision. I still have time. I uh, uh, still want to achieve my goal. So. Um, yes, part of me thinks um, I should have done it before, but uh, like I don't regret because you can't change it. You can't. You can't uh, change the history. So it, it's past now, and um, I'm moving on. And um, um, but nothing. I mean, me for me as a person, no situation will define me. I mean, no situation will change me as a person. Mm-hmm. I mean, there will be ups and downs. There will be. Uh, and down and so on. I mean, but uh, it just came within me. It's just um, especially the injuries um, that happened in the past two or three years really uh, frustrated me and uh, helped me to uh, take that decision and uh, change my thinking. Let's move on to talking about your fielding now, because that was kind of a, a, a highlight of that West Indies series as well. Um, you were very, you made, made a big impact on the field. Um, you know, I think there were a couple of runouts that you were involved in, including a direct hit. Uh, you were throwing yourself along, um, um, and, and, you know, doing some outstanding ground fielding as well. Um, which, uh, you know, a lot of people remember you first from that, uh, amazing bit of fielding you did in the 2009, uh, World T20, you know, saved six, uh, in that match on the, you know, on the boundary in that match against West Indies. Um, and a lot of people have been sort of commenting, you know, you've, uh, you've kind of got back to that level again. Um, was there a separate fielding push or did it all just come out of this improvement in fitness? I think uh, uh, it, has, it has come uh, out uh, from the fitness regime. I think, um, you know, as I said before, I've changed my training uh, from what I did before and uh, what I'm doing now. And uh, that has really uh, changed changed me and got got me to the level I was when I was in uh, when I was twenty twenty one, and that's actually pleasing because uh, I mean I I worked as hard as you know anyone else um, when it comes to field because I know it's a very important aspect.
Okay, welcome back to ESPN Quick Info Stump Mike. As part of our Retro Life series, we recently covered one of the most controversial ODIs that has ever been. It was England versus Sri Lanka at the Adelaide Oval. And joining Fidel to discuss Murli's action, the umpire's actions, Sri Lanka's reactions and the episodes that preceded and succeeded that standoff on the field. We also have with us Gaurav Sundaraman. Hi guys. Gaurav, you're being building a reputation online as the nicest man at Crick Info. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, listener, you need to go to Gaurav's LinkedIn, is it? Where he's giving out advice to any aspiring sports media journalist out there, no, Gaurav? Yeah, but that's generally doing something, uh, uh, keeping myself very busy in the lockdown. Yeah, so that's great. So anyone who, who aspires to have a career in the sports media and probably as successful a one as Gaurav Sundaraman, head over to his LinkedIn page, drop him a question, he'll sure to get back. But now let's get back to some retro life. Fidel, to understand what happened in 1999 between... Uh, England and Sri Lanka, it was at the Adelaide Oval. We need to go back a bit to, say, what was it, 1995 in that MCG test? Yeah, Boxing Day test, 1995. Mm. Um, so it was the first day, I think, it, I think there was a crowd of something like 69,000, which is the biggest test match crowd that Sri Lanka, that any Sri Lanka team had ever pay, played for, right? Um, and uh, Murali comes on to bowl, and immediately Daryl Hare uh, calls a no ball. And it, it takes a little while for people to kind of work out what's happening. But uh, Tony Gregg is on air and is kind of describing it as well. Um, basically, Daryl Hare has taken upon himself to call Murali for throwing. And uh, and that's essentially what happens. There's this big blow-up. It's like it's, It becomes a huge incident right through that tour. Uh, it's uh, Sri Lanka sort of see that Arjun Ranadunga is kind of livid the entire time. Yeah. Um, and so there, that was kind of like a baptism by fire for Morley in Australia. And, uh, and there was, Australia was always a country. Um, and even after 99, where Morley faced the greatest amount of criticism and the greatest amount of like skepticism over his ex, uh, over his action, Australia was right in the thick of that. And it was largely Australian umpires. And in, in this 99 match, which, um, we, uh, covered, uh, a few days ago, Ross Emerson was the, the umpire, and he'd sort of, um, by this stage, the World Cricket Committee had met and discussed Murray's action. They'd accepted that he has a kink in his arm that prevents him from straightening it. They'd mm-hmm. accepted that he has uh, double-jointed wrists and a shoulder that dislocates almost every time he bowls. Uh, and uh, he, they'd accepted that it creates the illusion of throwing, especially from, you know, from a 2D kind of perspective, and that, uh, and that his, they'd essentially cleared his action. But obviously, this was not good enough for Ross Emerson, and uh, and Murley comes on and and he starts getting no balled again, despite the fact that uh, sometimes actually he resorts to bowling leg spin at yeah, one yeah. point during this over, and still uh, and still uh, Ross Emerson calls him uh, for for throwing. Uh, so so yeah, it just becomes this huge huge thing where our um, general kind of I think he kind of knew that this would might happen. I think the team had some inkling that that Ross Emerson would act this way because Emerson kind of came with a reputation, uh, mm-hmm. and then and then uh, Arjuna being Arjuna played that situation more or less perfectly, uh, threatened to take the team off the field, and uh, but didn't quite take them off them. So he never stepped over the boundary. It was just kind of brinkmanship, uh, almost you know literally mm-hmm. brinkmanship. Took took them to the edge of the field. Uh, called um, the board at home and basically got their blessing to you know stay, stand their ground and uh, and yeah and then basically ended up uh, that match ended up being very very spiky that that match was against England uh, but England had um, had a lot of issues with the way that Sri Lanka went went about their their work that day and to be mm-hmm. fair Sri Lanka did you know bait them in quite quite substantial ways also. Um, but yeah, it was it was a fascinating match and and one that was really fun reliving. Yeah, the seeds seeds of this were set probably in that Boxing Day test only. I, I remember I watched it recently again, a few highlights on YouTube, and Tony Gregg was like his career, this young man's career is flashing before his eyes. It's the last time he'll probably bowl in a test match. Now, was was this an actual feeling back then that this could be the end of Murli when he was called the first time in that Boxing Day test? And I think he was called once again by our man, our umpire in question, Ross Emerson, in the ODI Tri-Series that followed versus West Indies. So uh, there was genuinely a feeling. I mean, I remember like watching it in Sri Lanka. The, I remember people being 
like absolutely appalled at the way that the umpires were behaving. Obviously, I mean, there's a lot of uh, kind of nationalist kind of mm-hmm. spirit going on there, but uh, I don't think we fully understood what was going on, but we were very, very annoyed at, at what was happening. And Morley at the time was not, like, no one ever suspected he'd go on to become the player that he became, right? He was just a really promising spinner at the time. It's not like he was, like, this player that, that Sri Lanka kind of built their strategies around. But he was also just a really promising spinner um, and someone that I guess like a young young player that everyone wanted to get behind. Um, and yeah, he was, his career was in a very, very fragile place at the time. I mean, he, he wasn't even necessarily always going to play for Sri Lanka as a specialist spinner. Like he was just making his way in the team. Um, and it would have been very easy, I think, for Sri Lanka cricket to kind of be like, OK, whatever, we've got other spinners in our locker. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe we don't need to court this kind of controversy, and and uh, and uh, we can we can play someone else essentially, or find someone else. But Arjuna is really the one who made sure that he like he Ranthinga is someone who just does not like being told what to do, does not like uh, yeah. anyone kind of infringing on his authority or trying to basically tell him something that he uh, basically tell him how to play the game. So he took it upon himself to really be Morley's biggest advocate at the time and he did that in his sort of very uh, full-throated and kind of fearless way and yeah if not for him I think we could have lost um, those uh, most of those 800 wickets and the fantastic career that that Morelli had it, it was really down to the people around him Arjuna being the main one rallying around Morelli at the time and refusing uh, to allow these umpires to kind of get away with what they did. But 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 it still amazes me, God of like this. Even in 1995 or 1996, when it happened, it it wasn't the first time world cricket is seeing Muli Daran. He had debuted a few years earlier. He had, I think, I think quite a few wickets to his name by then uh, already. So this was a bit unprecedented. No, it wasn't like Muli was this unknown spinner. You're seeing him for the first time, and his action is suddenly suspect. Yeah, I remember around uh, just before the 96 World Cup also considering the fact that uh, Sri Lanka played host and there was a lot of uh, controversies about uh, teams not travelling to Sri Lanka and generally Sri Lanka and Australia had just played before uh, in the Tri-Series as well and the whole uh, build-up between Sri Lanka and Australia actually was more about Murli versus uh, Australia uh, leading up to the World Cup. So I remember that uh, portion pretty clearly how the mm-hmm. uh, it was a kind of um, a cold war, if I if I may call it, in terms of uh, uh, Sri Lanka not really liking uh, anything that Australia would do, and uh, fittingly they went, ended up beating them in the final of the World Cup and uh, uh, winning it. So um, I think that motivated them, and that whole incident was uh, at that point in time was pretty um, uh, unprecedented, and also some you know as a, a cricket fan you don't see that too often and uh, you don't see umpires uh, just uh, taking stance like this and calling uh, uh, a bowler for chucking and like fidel said yes maybe he was not the name uh, he was not that big if it had happened to someone in that era who was a, a, a much a bigger bowler maybe things would have gone really uh, for the worse but uh, I think Sri Lanka handled it uh, a lot better than what uh, most other teams would have and also remember Sri Lanka uh, correct me if I'm wrong Fidel that they were not as powerful as a a nation that time um, uh, as they are maybe now yeah in terms of yeah in terms of cricket um, uh, power in in the yeah and in at the ICC level and administratively uh, they were just making their way, right? So they're just, I think just that year, they'd won their first away series, test series. Uh, and they, you know, no one suspected what was going to happen in the World Cup a few months' time from this 95 incident. No one really gave Sri Lanka a chance and kind of understandably so if you look at their record leading up to that World Cup. They were still kind of maybe not quite minnows, but like like only just starting to emerge from that kind of minnow status. Um, so, but what, one thing that did help them was that there was genuine spirit of South Asian solidarity back then, which we don't mm-hmm. have now, uh, under sort of Jag Mohandal Mia and, um, and the other board presidents, uh, that were around at the time. There was like kind of a, a spirit of cooperation and kind of wanting to help each other out. And, uh, the thing that while Morley faced this kind of virulent criticism in, in Australia, when even kind of like Australian prime ministers would sometimes weigh in and, and call him a chucker. 
um, he was getting this backing from the South Asian bloc. Um, and it wasn't like crazy uh, bloc uh, backing. It wasn't like even India of, of the 90s isn't the, the India that it is now, the BCI of, of, of what it is now. Um, still, the, the center of power was still kind of, I mean, arguably it was still in Australia and England where right. Murali was facing this criticism, but it did help that um, kind of the other South Asian wards got around him as well. But then and, how did uh, the the entire Daryl Hare controversy come out? I don't think he, he officiated a Sri Lanka game after that. No, so uh, Sri Lanka refused to uh, to play games that he would officiate in. Um, and so he yeah, essentially didn't officiate an, another Sri Lanka match. Um, and also he got, he was basically passed, um, instructions from the ICC saying we've taken a stance at the highest level on Morley's action and this is the way you are to umpire and uh, Ross Emerson was the only one really mm-hmm. to um, to fight that and uh, and kind of uh, sort of go on his own uh, own path. Yeah, yeah. So we're getting back to our retro live in question. It is 1999. They're playing an England, Australia, Sri Lanka tri-series in, in Australia. It's at the Adelaide Oval. And Ross Emerson, who has, who in his, I think his first ODI he was standing in called Murli versus West Indies in 1996. And a few years later, the anticipation is building up. It even even before the match in our retro preview as well, we were looking forward to when Murli comes to bowl. Where will Ross Emerson be? Will he be at his end or will he be at Tony McQuillan's end? Who were both the same umpires as they were in, in, in 1996 as well. And it was Ross Emerson at square leg when Murli came to bowl first. I think his first over passed without incident. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's what happened. Um, uh, and then I think Arjuna, like, intentionally, from the, from what I've heard, kind of from what I've heard about stories from that match, intentionally bowled. Uh, Morally from the other end, uh, mm-hmm. or, uh, or like in- intentionally got this no ball call out of Emerson because he he was sub- he kind of went in there with a plan, and I think Dev Watmore was still coach, and they would kind of discussed what was going to happen at this um, at this match and how they were going to play it. So Sri Lanka kind of went in there knowing what was in store for them. Morally went in there knowing what was in store for him. Um, and that was probably what allowed them to kind of stand their ground as decisively as they did. Yeah, yeah. So did did you see this, Gaurav? So when in I think in Murli's second over, it was Ross Emerson at square leg who signals no ball, and he gestures to his arm, saying that I've called no ball for throwing for an illegal action or perceived illegal action. And at that point, I don't think in in the previous two instances he was called no ball seven times each. This time, Ranatunga takes a stand and says, "We are not." We're not playing anymore. Yeah, that that's uh, that's something which you would hardly uh, see it happening this day and age, you know. And it seemed like a plan from first uh, that uh, there were so many people against Murli, and uh, Murli has to be very grateful to the fact that he had a captain like Arjuna Danatonga who who was able to stand for uh, Murli and actually stand for the country. It's not it's not very easy to do what he did. We saw recently in the Asia Cup, I think, uh, when there was some incident where the Shakib. Uh, Things started calling his uh, mm-hmm. mates back, and then uh, all of them took Shakib yeah, back, and uh, uh, Bangladesh actually didn't yeah. uh, walk out, you know. Uh, but maybe uh, to the fact that Rantunga managed to make such a statement uh, was really good for uh, Sri Lankan cricket and also uh, put them uh, in a much better position than what uh, a lot of other captains uh, may have failed. The fact that he was very experienced captain at that point in time uh, helped Murli a lot. And uh, yeah, Fidel, did, did the whole incident seem like a planned, uh, uh, I don't know, I don't have a word for that, but it seemed uh, well orchestrated. Yeah, I, I think it was well orchestrated from both sides. Uh, I think, I mean, Emerson clearly went in there wanting to noble him and the fact that Murali immediately switched to leg breaks as soon as he started getting called for um, for the, the arm. Uh, he immediately switched to to leg breaks, and that was uh, he he'd obviously talked about that. Uh, there's also a footage of Dev Watmore is was down on the ground. I think it was in this match, um, and he was recording what was going on on his own personal camera, just to make just for posterity, just to show the ICC, just for kind of evidence against Emerson. Uh, they just wanted to make sure that they had footage of uh, unedited footage of what was going on, and. Uh, 
And so, yeah, it was it was something that the, the everybody was ready for. Uh, Fidel, I just had a quick question. How much did it affect Murli, uh, having followed uh, Murli for so long? How much did it affect his bowling performance? Because in the 96 World Cup, uh, uh, he really didn't... Uh, do as well as what maybe uh, maybe the expectations are going back and looking he just took seven wickets Sanat was also the, uh, a bowler who had taken seven wickets so uh, did it affect Murli that time and generally uh, has it ever been on his mind uh, for in those uh, five years uh, leading up to the 2000s so I mean the, interesting question and uh, Murli of 95 is a different from bowler from Murli of 99 uh, Murli of 95 is still 95 96 is still like very much a rookie all he has at that point is just like incredibly uh, uh, appreciable turn. So he turned the ball square. That was that was basically his one weapon in, in '95. Uh, but he doesn't have the, He didn't have the control. He was not as smart as um, spinners need to be. He just had this one thing, which was crazy turn. Um, and I think when he at that fragile state of his career, yeah, he probably didn't handle that that well. Um, he was kind of easier to get on top of. Um, in his younger days, it was easier. He bowled, you know, many more bad balls, and he was he was visibly shaken up by some of the some of the things that were happening to him. But then eventually, when this keeps happening to you, he, I think he grew like a very thick hide and and became uh, he you know he bowled Sri Lanka to a, this incredible victory at the Oval in '98. Um, and uh, after that, it was kind of that period where Morley kind of started becoming the bowler that we kind of remember him uh, being. And in by '99, I think he had just become he had just he just knew what his game was, and he knew that he would have to work harder in places like Australia, and that he uh, he would have to have this kind of mental toughness. Um, Australia has never been his favorite place, so his his um, record in Australia is kind of bad to the point of being abysmal. Uh, partly because of the tracks and and uh, and sort of he wasn't necessarily the kind of bowler who got a lot out of kind of bouncier surfaces, but also because um, there was so much else going on. Every time he went to Australia, there was some kind of controversy. Either the prime minister would weigh in or like uh, Shane Warne and him would have a stat or like there's, there's always something about his action in Australia. And he never, he never really kind of cracked Australia as a, as a, as a touring destination. The thing also you have to understand about Murley is that it's such a, it's kind of a crazy story because he, A, I mean, we've gone through the fact that the, visually it looks like he's chucking, right? Especially everyone's watched video of Murley and thought, for, for first first glance, mm. this guy is throwing the ball, right? That is, everybody has had that, um, had that reaction. Um, and then Murley was kind of like the guinea pig for all this biomechanical test because, because he was such a high profile um, sort of suspect of chucking. He was the one who was first to get like kind of all these um, sensors put on his arm and slow motion cameras and all that. He was really the first bowler to go through that whole process. And what ended up happening was that he, uh, the entire bowling world changed because uh, A, A, what they found first was that, yes, he does straighten his elbow um, when they put him through these tests. But then to have, but then you needed a control, right? So that initial test kind of confirmed to the, the skeptics that, yes, he was checking. But then you needed to have a control, which is bring other bowlers in and see how much they, they're flexing their elbows. And, you know, you've got like fast bowlers with perfect actions. But when they're bowling a bouncer, they're flexing their arm by 14 degrees. Um, and you would never suspect these kinds of bowlers of, of chucking. And so Murali was kind of uh, at the forefront of that. He was always the guy who was... Um, and the, 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 the popular discourse in Australia was that because this South Asian bloc was acting together at the time, mm-hmm. uh, that basically the, the rules of, of cricket were changed to accommodate Murali and Murali alone. And that was like the misinformation that was spread. Uh, not taking into account the fact that actually, if you put the sensors on uh, on all bowlers, Murley yeah. doesn't throw any more than any normal bowler, including many Australians. That was not the narrative that was sold. It was Murley was tested and he was th- shown to be flexing his elbow and merely to uh, get him pl- playing the game, uh, the rules of cricket would change, which is not the case. Um, it was much more scientific and far-reaching uh, and... Uh, and yeah, and, and much more equitable than that. Mm-hmm. So getting back to the standoff at the Adelaide Oval, 
uh, I remember I listened to Ian Brotham on commentary and he was like, the umpires out there know more than the International Cricket Council. I think it's all rather pathetic. Uh, the umpiring in that match wasn't good. I think Tony Gregg was uh, suggested that they're doing guesswork. There were a few run-out calls that were missed. It was all it, 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 it was all pretty ugly stuff out in the middle. And how did it all get resolved? Uh, from what what I hear, there were rumors of calls made back home to the Sri Lanka board. Yeah, that's right. So um, uh, the the board president at the time was Tilanga Sumathivala, and the board uh, and the manager was uh, Randit Fernando. And they, and basically they they had had a plan of or what was going to happen. Um, uh, Arjuna kind of did a lot of what he did for show. Um, and I want to be clear about that. He wanted he wanted to flex his muscles, but he wanted to be seen to be flexing them. Right. That reminds me of Andrew Miller's words in his uh, retro report of the game. What followed was childish, demeaning and engrossing. As Emerson first refused Murlidharan's request to stand closer to the stumps to allow him to come round the wicket to Hick. He then carried the quarrel into the start of Murlidharan's subsequent over as Ranatunga came marching back into the thick of things, scratching the umpire a new mark behind the stumps and informing him, you are in charge of umpiring, I am in charge of captaining. And this is the way like his mind works, is that he kind of wants, he, he wanted like the public on his side as well. Uh, but he didn't want to do anything. He didn't, you know, he very, very noticeably didn't take a foot outside of the boundary rope because if mm-hmm. he did that, then Sri Lanka would have forfeited that match. Um, so he was calling the the board from the boundary um, just for kind of confirmation. But I suspect that they knew what that conversation was going to be about. That whole conversation it was probably planned, pre-planned. Um, and uh, Arjuna was just doing it for sure, just to sort of show that he wasn't going to uh, going to stand for this. Yeah, Gaurav, did you see that? So the first time when they came back and they started, and Murli started bowling again, the first ball he bowled was a leg spinner. And immediately after that, he bowled his regu- regular delivery. And that wasn't called by Ross Emerson. That was when someone on commentary suggested that it was our umpires uh, just guessing as to whether Murli is, is, is throwing or not. But beyond that, so... Of course, this this became big, big news in, in international cricket. And there were repercussions. If I remember correctly, I think Arjuna was fined. But the Sri Lankan team said that if he faces any other sanction, like a ban or a suspension, that they would not continue with the tour. Yeah, uh, I think, like I alluded to the point earlier, you know, that you need that uh, kind of uh, leadership to actually make these things happen. Uh, uh, like, uh, if you take recent examples like Sunil Narayan, Mohammad Hafiz, Saeed Ajmal, all these guys who have uh, been called at various uh, times in their career have never been able to come back. Um, whereas mm-hmm. uh, Fidel's point about uh, Murli actually peaking uh, post-1999 and we know who, what kind of a bowler he was till he finished his career. So it's not an easy on the individual as well. So I think a lot has to do with the leadership, the support the board had, and maybe the fact that uh, uh, the big three, so-called big three, that time could be maybe uh, India, Pakistan, and Sri Lanka because the, they were the ones who were supporting each other. Uh, that helped Murli a lot. So even uh, the umpires, I'm sure, were guessing the, that day because it's not that easy to uh, pick Murli. In fact, uh, I remember stories from the Indian team when uh, they toured Sri Lanka both in I think 2008 and 2010. Uh, it they used to have uh, constant sessions of uh, Murli and Mendes bowling and uh, just mm-hmm. the hands and the action and the batsmen need to guess whether it's a googly or whether it's a straighter one what kind of delivery it is and hardly people used to get that right so there's no way on earth uh, the umpire is going to uh, be able to get it uh, right so early on I think it was uh, just a planned thing and uh, they wanted to send a message across and the Australian media also supported uh, the umpires big time and they made it into such a big issue that uh, you know uh, Sri Lanka had to take a stance and I'm glad they did yeah, as Arjuna Ranatunga puts it, only in Australia is there something wrong with Murli, Murli's action. Uh, and interestingly, of course, Ross Emerson, his, his basically his ODI career is bookended by these two events. I think he officiated in, uh, in 10 ODIs, if I'm not mistaken, and his first and his last are both these matches where, where he called, uh, he called Murli, Murli for throwing. So I think he'll best know, be known for that. He's made some rather, uh, interesting comments about, uh, about, about Murli Dharan after, after it came out that his action was fine, after the 15 degree rule came in. He's gone on to say that, he's gone on to even suggest a conspiracy, uh, about, about why he had to call Murli for, for throwing. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard that. But uh, I think uh, Daryl Hare was quite kind of uh, uh, hasn't been 
has been quite cussed about it over the years. I hadn't actually heard what what Ross Emerson um, had said. So what 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 had he kind of um, suggested after? He essentially was he kind of regretful of uh, the way he officiated those games. Oh no, he said that Murli doesn't deserve the record. <laughs> yeah, he said Murli doesn't deserve the record. I haven't changed my view in 15 years. This is from a piece, an old piece on our on our site uh, that where he spoke to I think uh, the Sydney's Daily Telegraph. He said okay. that the rule should not have been changed to allow for uh, any spinners to bend their arm even even a little. And yeah, so he, he hasn't changed his opinion at all. Yeah, and I mean, the things that Murali kind of did to kind of clear his name, he went through, incre- I mean, he went mm-hmm. through uh, voluntary testing often to kind of show that he could bowl. Uh, because yeah. after the Dusra, where he did flex his arm a little bit more, so I think the off-break, um, generally he would, uh, on average, he would flex four degrees just from memory, and then the uh, the Dustra would be eight to ten degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, But then he, he went through these uh, kind of... Um, demonstrations where someone had built a, a plaster cast for him to put his arm in. And he did one both in the UK, in England, at the Lord's Nursery Ground, and in India with the Ravi Shastri and, and Michael Slater, where basically he went and had this uh, cast built for his arm where he wasn't allowed to, to flex it even a single degree. And he bowled both the Dustra and the uh, the off-break and the top spinner, which were his three main deliveries. He bowled all three of those without issues, uh, with and just imagine how difficult it is to bowl with a with a cast on, right? Like regardless of whether you flex or not, it's a it's a very hard thing to do. But he did it and uh, and kind of showed that he could turn the ball both ways. And that's when I think a, a few more people were won over because they could see that his wrist was mm-hmm. working in a different way from everyone else. They could see his shoulder was working in a different way from everyone else. Um, and he was able to sort of demonstrate that look, it's um, he can bowl these balls without. Uh, without flexion. The fact that um, uh, Murli was able to turn the ball so much, you know, as a finger spinner turning it so much at maybe in the 90s was something which could have got people suspicious about the whole thing because we haven't seen too many people turn the ball the way he does. Yes, Shane mm-hmm. Warne does it, but Shane Warne does it from, to, from the rough and his action uh, is obviously not that uh, suspicious. So I think a combination of factors has also resulted in that. And maybe the Aussies thought they could kill uh, Murli Dan's career, but thankfully for cricket... Uh, uh, and uh, for a stats guy like me, Murli uh, then continues his uh, uh, dream run over the next 10 years. Gaurav, as our resident stats guru expert, Avis, I want you to do one thing. I want you to blow our mind with, I know Murli holds like plenty of records, but more, blow our mind with probably the one or two best stats that you have heard about Muthaya Murli yeah, I was just uh, uh, digging up some uh, Mulidan facts, and that time I came across uh, 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 this is a famous stat. But if you look at it differently, uh, I found it very interesting. So, uh, if you look at the top wicket takers for Sri Lanka in Test cricket, Muli obviously is first, Herat is second, Vas is third, and uh, Fidel, do you want to guess who's fourth? Um, hang on, uh, I would say Dilruan Pereira, maybe. Yeah, that's what the numbers yeah. say. But Murli at SSC has 166 wickets, which is actually the fourth <laughs> in the list of wicket takers. Diluan is still yet to get there. So uh, in one single venue, Murli has got 166 wickets and that could be a career for uh, uh, most bowlers, you know. So I was, uh, yeah, the fact that they play there a lot helps, but... Uh, oh man, that 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 wicket! I think even now, Murli then goes there. He's going to get uh, 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 ten wickets, and Jayavardhan is going to score a double. I think SSC is just uh, <laughs> uh, something which Murli and Mahela uh, thrive on. And yeah. um, the other mind-blowing stat: he's played what from '92. He made his debut. Uh, his first wicket was Craig McDermott. Great, but in his 133 Test matches he's played, uh, Karthik, can you guess how many matches he went wicketless? One thirty-three uh, matches, eight hundred wickets. Uh, he averages six six a test, from what I remember. So, I'm, uh, thirty-three. You're saying thirty-three matches he went wicketless. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, I think uh, you have to remove one of the three. <laughs> it's just three times. Wow. Okay, that just went wicketless wow. three times, and uh, surprisingly, both two two of them were in 1997. 
and uh, one against india and one against new zealand and the other one was in the uh, the match which was uh, uh, in lahore 2009 where they actually just bowled four overs so uh, i think if you don't consider that it's just two games mm-hmm. so that's incredible for a bowler who's played so long to uh, uh, be uh, wicketless in a match i was just looking at ashwin's numbers for the same stat just to see maybe it's very common ashwin has six out of 70 games where he's gone wicketless so that's not bad either but uh, uh, yeah mulidan was a beast and um, his first wicket was that of craig mcdermott and and incidentally he took a wicket of his last ball of his test career which is pagyan oja which again not many uh, bowlers have the um uh, chance to do that glen mega did it in fact both in test and odi i remember correctly mega took a wicket of his last ball murli did the same thing um in test cricket so mm-hmm. uh, these are some of the uh, incredible bowling stats and just before i wind up one batting stat he has the most runs for the number 11 in test cricket 623 oh, wow <laughs> <laughs> I didn't he was he I was loved, he was fun to watch batting actually exactly i loved the batsman yeah. uh, there were some knocks where he just come and swing the bat and every ball you'll think he'll get out but uh, he'll hit a six or he'll uh, get the ball uh, to the other end so uh, that was uh, pretty interesting and i just heard a rumor i'm not sure though there are a lot of news pieces about it that vijay setupati the tamil actor is going to play mm-hmm. murli in his biopic and the movie is going to be titled 800 Yeah. I, one, I wonder who's going to play the role of Emerson and Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Oh, Fidel, just to finish, if things had turned out differently, yeah, do you think Murli would have made it as a leg spinner? Um, he could have. I mean, the, the leg breaks that he bowled in that match yeah. actually all right. They're actually decent <laughs> leg breaks. Um, I mean, probably not. I mean, it's hard to think that he would have just completely changed his bowling style and been the same bowler. Um, we probably would have seen a lot more of Herat from a younger age. I'm glad you brought up Herat, Fidel, because you and Miller did a retro polite inquiries as part of the package for this game, which included a question on Rangana. We're uh, we're doing it far away from our faces because we can't touch them. Oliver Jones asks, with all the furor surrounding Murali's action, so surely it's worth giving Rangana Herat the slot as Sri Lanka's premier spinner. Well, I don't know. I mean, what is he? 21 now. He's 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 a bit. Bit rotund, I think. He probably needs a little, little bit, a little bit of a. Uh, I'm sure he'll lose that weight. Though. I'm sure he'll lose that weight soon as he gets into the team. Within a couple of months, he will have lost it. I'm a hundred percent certain of that. These, these, yeah, uh, every... these new fangled deliveries cropping up all over the place. I mean, Shane Warne and Zoot is the next thing, isn't it? I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think yeah. I think it's all a bit pie in the sky, frankly. Listener, that polite inquiries also included a question on the Y2K. We're here 20 years later, and we're still talking about a bug. So go check that out on espncricketinfo.com. Fidel, your final thoughts on Muthaya Murlidharan. Yeah, I mean, it's it's impossible to really like think about what what Sri Lankan cricket would be like without Murli. I mean, he's probably been the single biggest shaping force in in a lot of ways. Um just because the the team's entire strategy, entire bowling strategy revolved around Murli for a long, you know, curators, you know, were basically told to tr- to make tracks for Murli. Basically, mm-hmm. everything about Sri Lankan cricket, especially Sri Lankan Test cricket, was just so uh, just pivoted around Murli to a ridiculous extent. Um, I think the only other bowler who was that important to his team uh, in men's cricket history, at least, is Richard Hadley. And I don't think the, those are the uh, New Zealand also in the 80s had a strategy that revolved almost totally around Hadley, and uh, and Murli did that for Sri Lanka in the in the late 90s and aughts. So. Uh, just yeah, just uh, Sri Lankan cricket is would would be unrecognizable had you know he be allowed had uh, sort of Hare and Emerson been allowed to get their way at the time. Fantastic! Thanks, Fidel. Thanks, Gstats. Thank you, guys. Pleasure, pleasure as always. Thanks, Karthik. This was ESPN Cricket for Stump Mike. Use hashtag Stump Mike and reach out to us on Twitter or any other social media platform. Until next time, stay clean, stay safe.